Thanks, Phil and the guys. Let's take a moment to greet the person next to you, or perhaps the person in front or behind. Perhaps you've never met them before. And How was it? It's probably this, is it? I'll, I'll probably Andy just needs to mute it. It sounded great. Yeah, a bit peaky, but it was great. <laughs> people seem yeah, people were well engaged with it. Okay. Well, if you're a visitor here this morning, I'm really, I'm really glad I get the opportunity to, uh, to bring God's word to you. We've been looking at a series in Proverbs. I'm hoping you're going to be glad you came this morning. This morning is that kind of awkward sex talk. (laughs) Sorry. And of all the mornings, if you're a visitor, you could have come. You've chosen this one, which is great and fantastic. There we go. To start with this morning, I just want to read from Proverbs 5. These words, my son, pay attention to my wisdom, turn your ear to my words of insight, that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of the adulterous woman drip like honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is a bitter and gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to her death, her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her path wanders aimlessly, but she does not know it. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you lose your honour to others and your dignity to the one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich the house of another. And the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at these few chapters in Proverbs 5, 6, and 7. And um, for the most part, it is about sex. We need to talk about this subject. I think there are three reasons why we need to talk about it. One, the world talks about it all the time. It's, it's obsessed with it and pretty much you can't go a few moments without noticing something somewhere or hearing something somewhere. It's in every part of life, culture and everything else. So we shouldn't be a place where it's avoided. Second reason is this. The Proverbs talks about this a lot. About 15% of this book is made up with, well, is given, is advice, is, is discussion, is a crying out to avoid the temptations of what can happen. And that's the third reason. We need to talk about this in order that we actually are able to navigate the difficulties, avoid the consequences of going wrong in this area. Because truth be told, they can be utterly ruinous. 
And Proverbs recognizes it, and it says it in, in no uncertain terms. Now, in case you hadn't noticed, the human race right now is, is actually going through probably the biggest sexual revolution probably 15,000 years. When, when marriage became part, well, people became less nomadic, and marriage became part of the, of the property and uh, transaction culture, that was a massive change. But today's day with the internet... This is the biggest change in sexual behavior and sexual just promiscuity that has ever come to this human race. On every street corner, we can be bombarded with messages. And they're very compelling and often very enticing and very tempting. And every single person, every single one of us needs to form a worldview when it comes to sex and sexual ethics. And our text today warns us that if we're not careful, we can be completely and utterly duped because so many of the messages that we are confronted with seem so very convincing, plausible, and yet they are completely wrong. This is a slightly scary statistic. The NSPCC survey in 2016 said that 65% of children by the age of 15 had witnessed pornography online via phone or computer. And of a third of those children had seen it by the age of 12. Most of them, I said they'd found it quite accidentally. 40% of them said it was frightening. But 50% thought that was a realistic depiction of what sex should be like. Or how it's done. And we can say, well, we're modern thinkers. We're educated people. I'm an informed individual. I'm well thought... I've thought this stuff through and I've got, I can handle it. I'm not stupid. And perhaps even we've formed views from people that we, we know within the church and we feel like we're educated and a Christian leader said this and this, that means that's okay. And my friends are living this life and they, they go to church. It's okay. Proverbs says, be very, very careful. Because it might look utterly compelling but it might be completely and totally and utterly wrong. See, Proverbs 5 and 6 is full of, and 7 is full of these warnings. This is what it says happens when we get this wrong. We experience bitterness, death in the grave, a crooked path. We lose the best of ourselves to others. Strangers end up, end up robbing us of our wealth. It affects us financially. End of our life, it says, we groan. Our flesh and body end up being spent it brings us to utter ruin in front of everybody else, like public embarrassment. We're getting snared and trapped. We die from lack of discipline. That's just in chapter 5. Chapter 6 says we get reduced to a loaf of bread. Temptation plays upon our very life. We scoop fire from our laps. No one goes unpunished, it says. We destroy ourselves. Blows and disgrace are our lot. This one's scary. Our shame never goes away. Chapter 7 says we are like deer to slaughter. We have a noose hanging around ourselves. It costs us everything. Many, many are the victims temptation has brought down, has slain. Many are, it's a mighty throng, it says. Now my desire this morning is not to just batter you with heavy stuff. But I was struck as I prepared this last week just at the volume 
and the severity of these words. And it felt like I would be discharging my responsibility if I wasn't to address some of this stuff to you this morning. Because if we can go wrong, if we do go wrong, it can be ruinous. I've seen it firsthand. So much pain. And without wishing to make the moment even heavier, I imagine there are people here right now who have experienced pain through the inappropriate behavior of others. I'm sure many have seen in the news in the last year or two the increasing allegations of people in privileged positions using their power or their influence at least to or to exploit people for their personal gratification. And it's fair to say that a large proportion of those people are women. And the Me Too movement has exposed just how, how prevalent this has been. Not just in Hollywood, but in government, in education, in business, in the workplace. And I'm gutted to say. In the church. People carrying a spiritual responsibility have abused their power. Now, in some ways, I feel a little unqualified to speak on some of these things this morning, but and I'm sure I'm going to miss some things, but hopefully you'll get the tone or the sentiment of what I want to say. And just before I do that, I just want to acknowledge that, you know, if there are people in this room who have been hurt, who have been affected by this, then this is a safe place. And there are people here who are able to talk with you. And you can make yourself known either to me or one of the ministry team later on and we'd be happy to begin talking. If our culture is obsessed by sex, how we look, our image, how we appear becomes very important because unless we're attractive or we think we're attractive, then we don't feel like we're wanted. We don't feel like we're good enough. We don't match up, which leads to no one will choose me. I'm not acceptable. I'm not liked, loved or valued. Perhaps you can relate to that this morning. Jesus wants to heal and restore us. Remind us of his unfailing love for us and to set us free. And guilt and inadequacy and shame has no place in his kingdom. Actually, in the church, Okay, so heavy stuff kind of over. John, John Tyson, the American church leader, he, he speaks around this, these ideas and this subject and he outlines three, just three areas where, where real challenge to come to us in this area of our lives. And I'd like to just look at those this morning.
and for us to think about those things and maybe how we can address them. So I'm going to 3.7 this morning and uh, we're going to look at these things individually, briefly, and then we're going to put it all together at the end, hopefully. Pride. Our minds are constantly bombarded with stuff about sex. And if we don't think it affects us, then quite frankly, we're kidding ourselves. Now, I'm not a prude as such. I've sat through an episode of Love Island with my teenage daughter. (laughs) I've not actually managed to get through an episode of the Kardashians. I'm not here to say, don't watch this, don't watch that. Well, I would say, don't watch the Kardashians. (laughs) It's a total and utter waste of your life. Anyway, don't get me started. Here's the thing, the route to ruin starts with this thought. I'm okay. I can handle this. It's not a problem. Just a bit of sex. It's not a problem. I'm able to handle this. I'll just look or I'll read or I'll do this. I know where my line is. I'm a big boy or a big girl. I'm able to handle it. Actually, I should say this right from the start. Proverbs always addresses people it's talking to as women almost. And it might feel a bit sexist that the temptress is, is, is a lady this morning. This is equally, in fact, it's mostly men who mess up with this as well. So just an aside quickly. But Proverbs says, if you know where temptation is on any level, just steer clear. Still well clear. Humility says, I know that I am weak. I know that if I saunter down that road, I'm likely to fall. So actually, I'm just going to steer well clear. Here's a quote from, he's an atheist author. He's not the most cheerful chap. I wouldn't recommend reading too many of his books. Taneshi Coates is an American atheist. And but he says this, I've been with my spouse for 15 years. And during that time, I've never been with anyone but the mother of my son. That's not because I'm especially a good person. In fact, I'm wholly in possession of an unimaginable, filthy, mongrel mind. But I'm also a dude who believes in guardrails. I don't believe in getting in the moment and then seeing if I can exercise willpower. I believe in avoiding the moment. I believe in being absolutely clear with myself why I'm having that second drink. And why I'm not. Why I'm going to the party. And why I'm not. I believe the battle he says is lost at happy hour. And not at the hotel. He says. I am not a good man. But I'm prepared to be an honourable one. Now those are humble words. That's a guy who is aware of his weakness. Am I. And are you? See, there's some conversations that I won't indulge in, some places I won't go, some movies I won't watch, some magazines I won't read, because, well, not because they're wrong, because I am weak. They might be wrong. And if we think we're immune to the effect of this stuff, if we think it doesn't characterize or it doesn't objectify individuals for our own gratification, then 
There's another word that Proverbs uses for those type of people. It's basically stupid. Simple. Gullible. Naive. Humility says, I am weak. I could mess up, so I'm going to play it safe. And while we've landed on this for a few moments, it's not just about recognizing our weakness in the moment. It's about confessing our mistakes in the past. Proverbs 28, 13 says this. Whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Humility recognizes, you know what, I've messed up. And I'm going to confess it because I don't want to become a slave. I want to be free. If you've ever been to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, if you've ever taken somebody there, perhaps you've attended yourselves, the opening gamut for everybody is this. My name is, and I am an alcoholic. It begins with humility. I recognize my problem. I name it. I bring it out into the open and I begin the journey of restoration. I confess it because I want to be free. That is where it starts. We fight pride with humility. The second thing I want to talk about this morning, lust. Just the word. It's a bit uncomfortable. We fight lust, scripture says, with truth. Now this might seem like a weird one, but bear with me. It's my conviction that the Bible says that sex is intended to be enjoyed within the confines of marriage. I think scripture makes that very clear. Sex is reserved exclusively for the covenant commitment of marriage. And all forms of sex outside of that are not how God ever intended it to be. Now I realize that as soon as I say that, some of you will be offended. Paul, you're having a go. You can't impose your views on me. And maybe maybe you've had or been part of a conversation on sexual ethics or sex outside of these walls and it's become a little bit heated. And people have said to you, well, who are you to impose your Victorian, prudish, backward rules on me? Now, I'll speak about why I hold those views in just a moment. But before I do that, I'd like to put this idea out there. As far as I'm aware, as far as I understand, there are three culture types. The first one, heteronymous, or a heteronymous culture, is, is whereby... A few people make the rules. A few elite people at the top make the rules with regards to behavior and conduct. And you could say, well, Marxism would be an example of this. A few people have decided how everybody's got to behave, and that's the way you have to behave. And this still goes on in some parts of the world. And then there is the, the autonomous, if you like, culture, which we would, I guess... Hope, except that we live in today. And this is whereby pretty much everyone can choose what is right or wrong 
for me. As long as I'm not hurting anyone, I can choose how I live. Thank you very much. And that's pretty much the environment that we live in. Now, if someone engages in conversation with me about this subject, with you or with me, I said, well, tell me what you think about sex and with faith and all that stuff you believe in. I think at first my statement would be, well, if I'm going to talk about this, are you going to allow me the privilege of my autonomous view? That you're not going to inflict, you're not going to say, you must think like this. That actually you are allowed to think like you think, to explain. And we're going to have a reasonable conversation about this issue. I think that's okay to ask. See, my job in sharing views is not to condemn anybody's view in this room. It's to start a conversation and show why I think what I think. Often we find ourselves disagreeing with people on all sorts of things. And just to condemn, dismiss, that's not our call. You see, Scripture says there's a third type of culture, the theonomous culture, which is essentially the recognition that maybe, just maybe, there is a better way to live than either of the above. And I touched on this last week. Maybe there are thoughts that are higher than mine. Maybe there are ways that have greater understanding. Maybe there is a plan and purpose for every single person's life which leads to a place or a state of true fulfillment, of true happiness, of true love, of shalom. Meaning purpose, wholeness. Here's a thought. Maybe if I'm worshipping a God that sees the world exactly the same as I do. Maybe I'm just worshipping a bigger version of ourselves or myself. Humility says I've not got anything right. Humility says I want to come to something bigger or better somewhere where I can learn. And scripture, Proverbs is an antidote to lust. If we read the book, if we study the book, if we live the book, if we understand the book, it says bind the book around our necks, write it on our heart, keep on reading. There is some profound advice in this book, amazing wisdom to live by. Here's just one piece of profound, amazing wisdom. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. And you might say, what on earth does that mean? That's just weird. That's just weird. Well, let me explain what the writer is saying. Sometimes we get absorbed by beauty. A passion, attraction, the sparkly bits. My precious. Oh, precious. And it's pretty exciting. And it's really, really enticing. 
But actually, if we just get drawn and fascinated by that one thing, we miss the oinking pig that it's attached to. And I've sat with folk who have been enticed by the attraction and they've missed all the other things that surround that person, that situation, that moment. And actually, six months later, they wake up and next to them is a an oinking pig. <laughs> I was going to say it, Janet. You're right. <laughs> Don't be blinded by the sparkly stuff. That's what Proverbs says. It's not just a nice idea, you know. In my, sister, my daughter's um, psychology, A-level psychology book, here's a graph. An anal- an, well... You can see two types of relationship. One starts, the passionate one starts really, really peaky at the beginning. Look where it ends up. Sort of dribbling off to nothing. The other one just builds slowly into this extraordinary thing. That's just one proverb. There's thousands of them. They're all in this book. They're all there to help us navigate relationships. Proverbs says, read the book, digest the book, feed the book. It's honey. It's good for you. Anthony Hopkins. You know who Anthony Hopkins is? He's an actor. Apparently when he gets given a film script, he, he reads the film script through over 200 times. And by the end of that, he says... He says, I've, not only have I internalized the whole story, but I feel like I know the author. I feel like I know what the author intended, how the author intended the story to go. That's what Proverbs says. That's what the scripture says. Internalize it. Read it. Take it in. If you really want to know the author. We fight lies with truth. We fight pride with humility. I am weak. I want to be free. Thirdly. And this is tough. We fight loneliness with connection. For this, some, for some people, this can be a spouse. But for everyone, if they want it, it can be God. It can be with God and, importantly, God's people. The author, Philip Yancey, in his book, Rumours of Another World, which is a great, great read. The word sex comes from Latin word, which means to cut off or sever. sever. And sexual impulses drive us to unite or reunite and restore somehow the union that has been severed. Freud diagnosed the longing as a a longing for a parent. Jung diagnosed it for a yearning for the opposite success. The Christian sees a deeper longing for union with God, the one who created us. And sex prefigures that union 
bringing together body and soul in a kind of wholeness, otherwise not known. What Jung and Yancey and Freud are all pointing at is this idea that each one of us are made with a desire for connection to something else or somebody else. Something somehow has been severed and we need to fill that hole or we need to find a way of rebuilding or restoring that connection. And sex is one of the things that we can grow grappling after to fill that hole. Interestingly, in US cities, a study was conducted and where a leading sports team loses, uh, loses, a, loses a game or loses a match, <laughs> pornography use skyrockets. Because sport, particularly for men, but also for ladies, is one of those things we used to fill the gap where we're looking for a connection or an affiliation or a, a gathering to something. And when a team wins, people feel so great and connected but the sense of disconnection is somehow heightened when, when a team loses. The main reasons why sex is to be for the covenant commitment of marriage is, is linked in with this connection. Because we have a deep desire for connection and, and we can use sex to try and meet in the intimate most way possible, a connection with another or something. And we can use it to keep connected. But the truth is, there is always this fear, I might walk away or you might walk away from me. And whilst in the moment sex might feel amazing, in the long term, we can actually damage the deepest parts of who we are. I need this connection. But there's this risk that the other might walk away. And it looks nothing like how God intended it to look. This is union and commitment forever. In fact, it's the opposite, it's the entire opposite. Of what sex is meant to be. God, God likes sex. He made it. It wasn't like in the Garden of Eden. He, he went to sort of, I don't know, went into the garden and came back and went, oh, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> he fully intended Adam and Eve to procreate. Proverbs endorses sex. Actually, it's quite graphic in places, but it does say it's for covenant relationship. See, sex is only ultimately a picture of something better. Interestingly, the best person who ever lived, the most important person in all of history, Jesus Christ, never actually had sex. Which means, logically, it's possible to live the fullest, greatest life the most fulfilled life, and never actually have sex at all. Because actually, in order to gain fulfillment, real fulfillment, 
What we need is restoration. We need a connection to God himself. That's the thing that actually provides for us the deepest fulfillment, the deepest level of connection that we can possibly imagine. I think it would be true to say this morning, finally, that no one's probably, no one's entirely innocent of any of these things this morning. All of us have maybe struggled with pride and lust and loneliness. And we've fallen short in other areas of our lives as well. And we'll maybe look at a few of those things in the next few weeks. But all of us, I think, have brought upon ourselves the consequences, prophets warn about, a severed connection from God. And all of us, I think, have felt at some point, I need this connection back again. I'd like us to look at a video for a few moments. Many of you have heard of a chap called Billy Graham. He passed away in February 2018. And during his life, it's estimated that he shared the gospel, get this, with nearly 500 million people. But at his funeral, one of his daughters shared this story. There was no shame, there was no blame, there was no condemnation. 
I love that video for a number of reasons. Humility, truth, connection. But I think not only did Billy Graham show us what Jesus is like, but he showed us a vision of what the church should be like. He showed us a vision for how you and I are to treat each other. Proverbs 16, 16.6 16, says this. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Every single person in this room, as I said before, has been unfaithful in some way or another. And we've brought upon ourselves the consequences that Proverbs warn about. That severed connection from God. And all of us have felt, I think, at some point, I need connection back again. God so wanted the connection back that he sent his only son, Jesus. He lived the best of lives. He was tempted in every way. He didn't give in. And he decided to go to the cross. And he took upon himself everything that Proverbs warned us about. Proverbs 7, he was led like an ox to the slaughter. Proverbs 6, blows and disgraces were his lot. Proverbs 5, at the end of his life, he groaned, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All the things that Proverbs says will be due us if we fail, Christ took them upon himself. All of that. And as a consequence of the sin taken from you and placed upon him on the cross, our connection with God is restored. The connection with the creator of the universe is restored. And our primary call as the church is to communicate this to anyone and everyone. Not to condemn or throw stones. Whatever the mistakes you've made are, you are utterly loved here. There is a God who loves you more than, more than I can ever put into words. He's nuts about you. And he longs to restore the connection that you might feel connected in the deepest way with him. Not through sex. Through Jesus. Sex is not the answer. Jesus is. So we avoid going wrong in this area. We fight pride with humility. I'm weak. But I want to be free. We fight lust with truth. I'm made for connection for something Something bigger and better. We fight loneliness with connection. A spouse may be, but that's only a picture of something better. Connection through God, through Jesus Christ, made possible by the cross. That, that we, the church, 
live out. You'll hear a regular theme here at King's. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. And this morning, I say to you again, Jesus is the answer. If you're struggling today for connection, Jesus is the answer. Let's pray. Father, would you, by your spirit, lead us afresh today. Father, our deepest need is to walk with you, whether we realize it or not, whether we understand it or not, whether we're prepared to admit it or not. Father, would you grant to us humility? Father, would you bring revelation of your truth? Lord, we may feel connected again to you. Father, we thank you this morning for Jesus. Who has enabled us to be connected with the living God, the place of ultimate fulfillment. Lord, today we ask your grace would abound. Would you give us the strength and the courage today to humble our hearts again before you, Lord? And Lord, as we open our minds and our hearts, Father, would you meet us as you promised to do? We're going to close by lifting up the name of Jesus here this morning. And if I, anyone's things have been raised in hearts this morning, I'm sure, then um, if you would, today's not the time or the place quite possibly to start talking about these things. But we'd love to speak.